Wax Lyrical pays deepest respect to the Wurundjeri people on whose land this podcast is sometimes made. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. In the women's bathrooms at Woodford Folk Festival in Queensland, there's a piece of graffiti that reads, Who is the beauty of the world? When I became aware of this, I thought it was funny and a bit silly. Now I know it to be a true statement of quiet power and profundity. In our society, we seem to have a linear view of poo. We classify it as waste, send it bobbing along a pipe to be treated by chemicals. In nature, there is no waste, and the coming of poo marks the beginning of new processes. It is the catalyst for a myriad of new life. It's food for the microbes and worms, which provide the food for our plants, which grow to become our food. Poo interests me socially too. It's a hushed topic, often shied away from. But what an asset it is to our conversations and stories. Has there been anything as consistently entertaining over human history as a fart, the Pooh's helpful herald? It's one of my favourite words to say. Say it. Now join me, Algal Blooms, as we explore different kinds of poo, circles, and murmurings. It can be as deadly as hell. They'll figure it out. You can't. But you must honor the system by making the cast of characters is there. Ecological design and ecological engineering is about as radical a discipline as you can get. Because what it says at the very outset is that human beings are going to be partners with other life forms. About as radical a discipline as you can get. Partners with other life forms. Ecological design and ecological engineering is about as radical a discipline as you can get. Because what it says at the very outset is that human beings are going to be partners with other life forms. Human beings are going to be partners with other life forms.
We can't know a fraction of what they know. That's why I call it a true partnership. I mean, they know more than we do. We can't know a fraction of what they know. Say the organisms for waste treatment. When you set up the living machine, you don't know which organisms will recombine in the presence of the waste. So you get thousands of species of organisms from all kinds of different aquatic environments. And you seed them, preferably every season or four times a year. And they begin to recombine in ways to adapt to your waste. It can be as deadly as hell. They'll figure it out. You can't. But you must honor the system by making the cast of characters is there. You can't. But you must honor the system by making the cast of characters is there. the above ground part of the plant that most people see and the roots down into the soil that plant is putting out foods every bit of the surface of that plant is pouring out foods to feed the proper sets of microorganisms in the balances that the plant requires so it's putting out what's called in the scientific world exudates So it's putting out what's called in the scientific world, exudates. The fruit, the blossoms, all of the surface leaves, bark, stems, everything on that plant is putting out an exudate for the purpose of growing bacteria and fungi. And that's really the only reason the plant's putting those foods out. Leaves, bark, stems. Down in the root system, all of the roots, the structural roots, the lateral roots, the root hairs, the finers, they're all putting out foods. Lateral roots, the root hairs, the finers. To feed the bacteria and fungi. And of course, if a plant was putting out food, that would feed a disease-causing organism, the plant would be dead. The plant would be dead. The plant would be dead. So when this plant grown its roots through the soil, starts pumping out all this food, the bacteria grow, the fungi grow, and we have now a million, million bacteria per teaspoon of soil around that root system. Per teaspoon. 
We have you know, miles and miles and miles of fungal hyphae around the root system. So we've got a castle wall. We're protecting. And if the plant's doing that, how's it doing it? Through the exudates, through the foods that it's putting out. How's it doing it? You know, miles and miles and miles of fungal hyphae. How's it doing it? How's it doing it? So we've got a castle wall. Through the exudates, through the foods that it's putting out. How's it doing it? Through the exudates, through the foods that it's putting out. Simple sugars protein, and then carbohydrate. What is that a recipe for? Cakes and cookies. So your plant is dumping cakes and cookies all over its surface, every single surface, putting out cakes and cookies. Cakes and cookies to feed these bacteria and fungi so they grow to really high numbers and are protecting that root system from all of the diseases that would be trying to come in. All over its surface, every single surface. All over its surface, every single surface. So in a healthy soil that has the proper set of biology, that plant is gonna be able to grow everything it needs to grow to protect that root. And of course, then if we've got all these bacteria and fungi growing, here come the predators of the bacteria and fungi. And when a protozoan eats a bacterium, it releases nutrients in a now plant-available form. They release nitrogen, phosphorus, sulfur, magnesium, calcium, iron, zinc, copper, you name it, the whole list of nutrients that your plant requires. They release those nutrients in a plant-available form. As long as we maintain that biology in the soil. Exudates through the foods that it's putting out. Nitrogen, phosphorus, sulfur, magnesium, calcium, iron, zinc, copper. Eight notes scale an octave. Master the scale and you master the score.
Uncapricious Capricorn captures each note, holding it tight until it surrenders. The mystery of music can melt into black and white, then dissolve into gray. Capricorn, convinced, can make gray glisten like white onyx. Saturn's musician plays as written, and in the end, people listen. Listening to Wise Words with Burnt Sage. Diarrhea may be your secret fear, but it could become your greatest strength. Here is my counsel Name your second daughter Diarrhea. It is a beautiful name, accept it. While it may invite teasing or sideways looks, it might prove to be an unexpected boon and forge an unbreakable bond between you and your darling diarrhea. I just suddenly must have ripped. Sound like leather ripping. What do you mean leather ripping? Leather doesn't rip. Yeah, it was hard. But if it's so hard, but if it's so hard, I can let this rip. I remember Baga tried to tell me once that he blew a hole in his boxer shorts. Do you reckon that's possible? No. Unless you lit it. If they were leather. My Calvin Klein second hand. Dummy pants. Second hand Calvin Klein. I felt, the I felt <laughs> yeah. a breeze up, did. up my bum hole. No. And there's a hole in them. What? Oh my god. Oh. And I think I must have them. just farted my way through it. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I'm like, how are you folks? 
No, I don't think that's actually oh, okay. what happened. Okay, it's like surely not. Wait, <laughs> high velocity. I always used to think that though, like, are, are, like one of those hot, uncomfortable, gassy farts that just burns. Almost. Yeah, like. Well, I'd well, be thinking like, thing. would it burn through? Or, burn through them? Through it. What, this is what I think about when I look at the fire. Blue yeah. angels. We've all done blue angels before. I've done blue angels. Before. I've never. I've never. It's when you light them. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've done that in a few garden camping trips. No. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Yeah, but you didn't get one. Even if I remember, I did have Christmas recently, but we didn't get one. I was disappointed. I've done them. I don't doubt that you've done I've never seen one in person. Erasmus Darwin, grandfather to Charles Darwin, was quite an interesting character. He was a big man. He carved away a half-moon shape from his dinner table to accommodate his belly. King George III offered the royal physician post to him. He turned it down to pursue other things. He had gay friends and thought education should be available for women. He loved sex and prescribed it as a remedy for hypochondria. Something that strikes me about him is his ability to think for himself. He pondered an alternative theory of how life came to be. He followed his own imaginative thoughts that led him beyond the accepted ideas of the day. Would it be too bold to imagine, he said, perhaps millions of ages before the commencement of the history of mankind, that all warm-blooded animals have arisen from one living filament, which the first great cause endowed with animality with the power of acquiring new parts, attended with new propensities, delivering down these improvements by generation to its posterity, world without end. Let there be light. Astonished chaos heard the potent word. Through all his realms the kindly ether runs, and the mass starts into a million suns. Earth's round each sun with quick explosions burst, and second planets issue from the first. Bend as they journey with projectile force, in bright ellipses bend their reluctant course. Orbs wheel in orbs, round centres centres roll, and form self-balanced, one revolving whole.
stretched, stretched on her mossy couch in trackless deeps, queen of the coral groves, Zostra sleeps. Darwin's work was too sexy and edgy for the time. It also prodded at sensitive social spots. It was a dangerous time to suggest alternative ideas about how life proliferated. Coleridge, who had previously called him the most original-minded man, said his poem was nauseating. Darwin was parodied, and for a time, his poetry and ideas fell out of favour. Canto 1 Descend, ye hovering sylphs, aerial choirs, and sweep with little hands your silver lyres. With fairy footsteps print your grassy rings, ye gnomes accordant to the tinkling strings, while in soft notes I tune to oaten reed gay hopes and amorous sorrows of the mead from giant oaks that wave their branches dark to the dwarf moss that clings upon their bark what bow and beauties crowd the gaudy groves and woo and win their vegetable loves Linnaeus, the celebrated Swedish naturalist, has demonstrated that all flowers contain families of males or females or both, and on their marriages has constructed his invaluable system of botany. Ye painted moths, your gold-eyed plumage furl. Bow your wide horns, your spiral trunks uncurl. Glitter ye glowworms on your mossy beds. Descend ye spiders on your lengthened threads. Slide here ye horned snails with varnished shells. Ye bee nymphs, listen in your waxen cells. Botanic muse, who in this latter age, led by your airy hand, the Swedish sage, bade his keen eye your secret haunts explore, on dewy dell, high wood, and winding shore. Say on each leaf how tiny graces dwell, how laugh the pleasures in a blossom's bell. How insect loves arise on cobweb wings, aim their light shafts and point their little stings. Two brother swains of Colin's gentle name, 
the same their features, and their forms the same. With rival love for fair Colinia sigh, knit the dark brow and roll the unsteady eye. With sweet concern, the pitying beauty mourns and soothes with smiles the jealous pair by turns. Colinsonia. Two males, one female. I have lately observed a very singular circumstance in this flower. The two males stand widely diverging from each other, and the female bends herself into contact first with one of them, and after some time leaves this and applies herself to the other. It is probable that one of the anthers may be mature before the other. Stretched on her mossy couch, in trackless deeps, queen of the coral groves, Zostera sleeps. Today I had a sausage for breakfast. Well, yeah, I could smell. Yes. <laughs>
today I had a sausage for breakfast. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Wedgwood of Mayhorns. <laughs> I love it. This next section is about Charles Darwin. This voice is the voice of Julian DeLorenzo from the Tangled podcast. He joined me to talk about how worms shape landscapes. He talks about his experiments he did to find out how intelligent they were. And he'd chop up little bits of paper and leaves in tri- in the shape of triangles, but like isosceles triangles, so like two long edges and one short edge, so it's like a spiky triangle. And he placed them out around wormholes and measured or, or observed the worms as they came and ate them and sort of tabulated all his data. And he realized that they would never choose to drag a chunk of food down into their burrow by the long edge like they always somehow picked it up by the pointy end so that it would go down into the burrow in like the easiest possible way and he's just like how the hell are they so smart to know that but they would just all consistently like with no sight they're just like feeling these things and they somehow managed to just pull pull it down by the most efficient uh, format Because so in 1881, which is the year before he died, Darwin put out his last book, which he'd actually been sort of working on for decades beforehand. People thought he was going a bit nuts because it was called "The Formation of Vegetable Mold Through the Action of Worms with Observations on Their Habits." Uh, like vegetable mold was just pretty much his uh, way of describing soil it was pretty funny because people were just thought yeah sort of thought he'd lost the plot they're like why are you writing about earthworms but he was really ahead of his time the stuff he wrote didn't really get picked back up again for like a hundred years and then soil scientists and geologists were like oh actually he was onto it way before anyone else it's really interesting Uh, i'll just read a couple of couple of sections from it. Quote, In the year 1837, a short paper was read by me before the Geographical Society of London on the formation of mould, in which it was shown that small fragments of burnt marl, cinders, etc., which had been thickly strewed over the surface of several meadows, were found, after a few years, lying at the depth of some inches below the turf, but still forming a layer. This apparent sinking of superficial bodies is due, as was first suggested to me by Mr. Wedgwood of Mar Hall in Staffordshire, to the large quantity of fine earth continually brought up to the surface by worms in the form of castings. These castings are sooner or later spread out and cover up any object left on the surface. 
I was thus led to conclude that all the vegetable mould over the whole country had passed many times through, and will again pass many times through, the intestinal canals of worms. He starts chapter 4 by, by saying, quote, Archaeologists are probably not aware how much they owe to worms for the preservation of many ancient objects. Coins, gold ornaments, stone implements, etc., if dropped on the surface of the ground, will infallibly be buried by the castings of worms in a few years, and will thus be safely preserved until the land at some future time is turned up. And then a couple of sections from the conclusion, which I think is just so much better than most scientific writing you read nowadays. Worms have played a more important part in the history of the world than most persons would at first suppose. In almost all humid countries, they are extraordinarily numerous, and for their size, possess great muscular power. In many parts of England, a weight of more than 10 tons of dry earth annually passes through their bodies and is brought to the surface on each acre of land, so that the whole superficial bed of vegetable mould passes through their bodies in the course of every few years. From the collapsing of the old burrows, the mould is in constant, though slow, movement, and the particles composing it are thus rubbed together. By these means, fresh surfaces are continually exposed to the action of carbonic acid in the soil, and of the humus acids which appear to be still more efficient in the decomposition of rocks. The generation of the humus acids is probably hastened during the digestion of the many half-decayed leaves which worms consume. Thus, the particles of earth, forming the superficial mould, are subjected to conditions eminently favourable for their decomposition and disintegration. Moreover, the particles of the softer rocks suffer some amount of mechanical trituration in the muscular gizzards of the worms, in which small stones serve as millstones. Darwin sort of finishes um, by, by saying this. When we behold a wide, turf-covered expanse, we should remember that its smoothness, on which so much of its beauty depends, is mainly due to all the inequalities having been slowly levelled by worms. It is a marvellous reflection that the whole of the superficial mould over any such expanse has passed, and will pass again every, th every few years through the bodies of worms. It may be doubted whether there are many other animals which have played so important a part in the history of the world as have these lowly organised creatures. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I have a ball making this podcast, and it's nice to know people like listening to it. Share it around if you do. If you want to contribute, send us a story, an idea, or a sound. You can do it at waxlyricalfbi at gmail.com. I'll be starting a new segment next episode called Thought Out 
where I read out a thought someone wants to send out to a person or a place or just into the world. If you'd like to send a thought out, then send that thought in. See ya.